Hi there, and welcome to my Fashion Stories Box podcast, a podcast about stories in fashion history. I am Catherine, and I'm so glad to welcome you here. Let's discover together interesting facts about fashion and history and fashion history. Marie-Antoinette, a character we learned to hate as kids since the first history class. Mind you, she's the one responsible of the French Revolution. She's the foreigner who spent all the money of the Kingdom of France to buy sumptuous clothes, while the poor French people was dying from hunger. She's the one with a decadent way of life who would ruin the French monarchy. Between us as if the French monarchy just waited for her to be decadent. How comes, though, that Marie-Antoinette is one of the most emblematic sources of inspiration for fashion designers? What makes her so unique? In this new episode of my Fashion Stories Box podcast, we will try to learn more about the woman behind the queen. We'll dive in her childhood at the court of Vienna to understand her personality. We will see how Marie Antoinette would use fashion to impose herself and the many controversies she created through the different styles she launched. We will try to understand why the French revolutionaries hated her so much and who is her legacy to the fashion and haute couture world. Marie-Antoinette Joseph Jeanne de Habsburg-Lorraine was born in November 1755. She was the 15th child of Francis I, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, and of Marie-Thérèse of Austria. She spent all her childhood at the court of Vienna, surrounded by her siblings and the love of her parents. The little Antonia, as she was nicknamed, had a very simple life. The etiquette at the court of Vienna was quite laxist, with no strict rules or protocols to bend to. She was a free kid who received the basic education girls of her generation would receive, bearing and appearance classes, dance and music the bare minimum. Intellectual topics weren't part of the agenda. To such an extent that, at the age of 10, she barely knew how to read and write in German, had a very beginner level of French, and more or less understood Italian, a language she learned almost alone, thanks to her love for Italian operas. No wonder she developed an interest towards activities considered as superfluous. A simple childhood, even as a daughter of a monarch, didn't really prepare her to the tsunami that would be her wedding to the future king of France and her arrival inside the nest of vipers that was the court of Versailles. Marie-Antoinette also had a simple personality. She was said to be joyful, playful, charming, and used to live without constraints. And this won't fit for Versailles. From a physical point of view, she was harsh blonde with blue eyes and a Roman nose and a fresh complexion described as of lilies and roses. And she was said to be very graceful with a particular beauty. Even the young Mozart, 
who would have met her on October 1762, would fall in love with her, ask to marry her at the age of six. How cute! When she arrived at Versailles, people marveled about the way she would walk. It was not walking. It was as if she was sliding. The dance classes of her childhood gave results. And basically... This was what was expected from a woman of her station, being beautiful, gracious, and having children. Intelligence was unnecessary. However, when in an effort to strengthen political relationships between the Kingdom of France and the Holy Roman Empire, and the choice of Marie Antoinette to become the next Queen of France, her education was considered too light by Versailles. French King Louis XV sent specialists to make her speak fluent French, but also to improve her physical appearance, especially her teeth and her style. Her wedding with the future King of France would be celebrated by proxy on April 19, 1770. After her first menstruation and thus her readiness to be married and ability to bear children. Few weeks later, Marie Antoinette would leave forever the court of Vienna to join the one of Versailles and have a real wedding with her future husband. The moment she entered the French territory, as per the tradition, she would have to leave all her Austrian belongings, including her clothes, and to be dressed following the French fashion of the time. This event acted as a ritual. By physically leaving her belongings, she was living behind her previous life, her previous identity, her childhood. Now speaking only French, and she would really insist on that part, and dressed the French way, Marie-Antoinette went on her journey through the kingdom, being warmly welcomed by the people all along, all happy to see a beautiful and smiling young woman to become the future queen of France, and to give hers to the throne. She would reach Paris, and on May the 16th, 1770, at the age of 14 years, she would officially marry Louis-Auguste, the Dauphin, and future Louis the 16th. She was young, she was beautiful. Life seemed easy at first. Everybody liked her. Everybody? Well, not really. The simple people from the countryside who welcomed her throughout her journey to Paris liked her, at least at first. Louis XV liked her and would spend time with her, trying to educate her to political matters. However, the remaining of the court, the aristocracy, didn't warm up to her. She was the Austrian, the foreigner. The official mistress of the king, the famous Countess du Barry, didn't like her, and it was mutual. Her husband, Louis, didn't appreciate her much, and Marie-Antoinette would soon feel pretty alone and overwhelmed by the rigidity and the heaviness of the Versailles etiquette. In 1774, Louis XV would die. Louis-Auguste, 
would be crowned King of France and known as Louis XVI. At 18 years old, Marie Antoinette became Queen of France. For the best and for the worst. Marie Antoinette is now known as a fashion icon, a fashion victim even. But at her arrival at the court of Versailles in 1770, this destiny won't be obvious right away. She was young, 14 years old, far from her family, impressive and a bit at last. She would of course have a wardrobe full of many items, a wedding trousseau counted around 100 dresses. However, the elements of this wardrobe would follow the old fashion. As future Queen of France, she couldn't really dress the way she really wanted. Appearance was everything. The woman in charge of her wardrobe was the Duchess de Villars, a person who was already in charge of the late Queen's wardrobe, Marilyn Zitzka, who died 30 years ago. Poor Marie Antoinette was stuck with court dresses from a time before her birth even. Complete old-fashioned styles and cuts which didn't suit her physiognomy. No matter how luxurious or well-cut the dress was, Marie Antoinette always looked badly dressed. Not being the Queen of France yet, she couldn't choose the fashion merchants and textile providers she would have wanted to work with. Marie Antoinette was maybe young, but she wasn't stupid. During the many events taking place at Versailles, she did notice that the other ladies were pretty well dressed, nothing to keep the comparison with what she had to wear. After some research, she would learn that all of these women would have their dresses done by the same person, a certain Mademoiselle Rose Bertin. If you have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I dedicated an episode to Rose Bertin, the first, fa- the first fashion designer in history, at least for me. And I encourage you to listen or listen again to this episode to discover more about the life of this exceptional woman nicknamed the Minister of Fashion. To come back to Marie Antoinette, after having learned the name of Rose Bertin, she would chimp at the bit for the moment when finally she would be able to have dresses from her. The moment will come four years later. In 1774, the king Louis XV died and Marie-Antoinette's husband will become Louis XVI. The king is dead. Long life to the king! Marie-Antoinette becomes Queen of France and is now free to do whatever she wants, including wearing dresses she likes. In July 1774, a secret meeting is organized between Marie-Antoinette and the most famous fashion merchant, Rose Bertin. We have a testimony of this meeting from Madame Campan, first lady's maid of Marie Antoinette. She wrote, quote, This is during the first trip to Marley that Madame the Duchesse de Chartres, who became since Duchesse d'Orléans, introduced in the private rooms of the Queen, Mademoiselle Rosebertin, 
fashion merchant who became famous at that time through the radical change she introduced in the dresses of French ladies. Unquote. And change was exactly what Marie Antoinette was looking for. She wanted to be more beautiful and more important than the Dubarry, the former king's mistress and her enemy. With Rosbertin at her side, she would develop a true passion for fashion and soon she would understand its power to affirm her new role as the queen of the kingdom of France. The Countess de Boigne would even say about Marie-Antoinette, quote, being the most fashionable woman was the title she found the most desirable, unquote. Very far from the simple Austrian girl who arrived very shy at the court of Versailles four years earlier. Marie-Antoinette will have many occasions to practice her new fashion influence. Indeed, knowing her interest to these kinds of activities, Louis XVI will charge her with organizing the pleasures of the court. And Marie-Antoinette will love it. She was a big fan of theater, comedy, gaming, dance, and music, and she will take very seriously the responsibility given by her husband by developing a weekly program of festivities with two balls, including one masquerade ball and two theater plays. Just as much occasions for her to establish a reputation as fashion influencer. Indeed, it was completely out of question to be seen wearing the same dress several times, a bit as today and modern fashion influencers on Instagram or TikTok. I'm sure Marie-Antoinette would have loved social media and the rise of virtual classes. Her meetings with Rosbertin at the Regions taking place twice a week will become daily and this up to 1789 when things would become a bit more complicated on the political side. Of course, the reactionary society of the court won't see this from a good eye. Our dear Madame Campan would even write later, quote, The Queen, until that moment, had developed a very simple taste for the dress, and then it started to become her main occupation. Unquote. The time has gone when the young future Queen could be easily manipulated by them. Marie-Antoinette started to show her true personality. She became consumed by her passion for touching the fabrics, the fittings, the alterations, and the experimentations. Fashion will become excessive in style, in volumes. The robe à la française, French-style court dress, will become so wide, with panier underneath going up to five meters, it would be almost impossible to go through the frames of the doors. In a very short period of time, Marie-Antoinette would introduce so many styles, so many variations, it was almost impossible to follow everything. The robe à la Française, the robe à la Polonaise, the robe à la Marlborough, the robe à l'Anglaise, the caraco, the Indienne, the Orient-inspired dress, the robe en bergère inspired by the countryside, and, of course, 
the famous and scandalous Rob Alaren, I'll talk about a bit later. In his memoir, the Marquis de Malfon would write about 250 ways to decorate a dress, each way having a poetic name. Indeed, the way people had to name a color or to describe a fashion was quite original and creative, to say the least. A color looking like the hair of the queen was called couleur cheveux de la reine, color hair of the queen. Another, looking like the eye of the king, kind of blue-gray, was called œil de roi, eye of king. And these color names were quite fine, but what about the color flea? <laughs> A mix of brown, purple and red. And you had variations for that flea color. Color flea leg, color flea stomach, color frightened flea. Or let me give you examples of variations of gray. American gray, steel gray, slate gray, pearl gray. Brown was called suit, and my favorite, London's chimney's suit color. Other very poetic and less poignant names. Dolphin caca, goose sheet, muffled sides, tides of a moved nymph. <laughs> I don't know how it sounds in English, but in French it sounds somewhat poetic, but also quite ridiculous. It is, at least with our modern mind, but I'm pretty sure it was also the case at that time for outsiders. And if we read descriptions of how people were dressed at that time, hmm, it's a bit confusing. I'm going to try to translate for you in English the description of a lady published in the Journal Politique et Littérature of May 1776. Madame hmm, was lately at the opera wearing a dress muffled side, embellished with superfluous regrets, with a point in the middle of perfect ingenuousness, a marked attention, shoes, hair of the queen, embroidered with diamonds in treacherous manners, and an emerald venezivoire, hair curled in sustained feelings with a cap guaranteed conquest, ornated with fickle feathers and with ribbons of depressed eyes, and with a cat on the shoulder, color people freshly arrived. Behind a Medici mounted in good manners, with a despair of opal and a muff of brief agitation. I don't know if it makes any sense in English, but believe me, it makes no much sense in French. I read the original French text to my mother and she burst into laugh at almost every word. So, we know no more if we talk about colors, about 
physical characteristics, about descriptions. There is a sense of poesy, though, in this description. An old-fashioned poesy. Something precious. We don't understand, but maybe, maybe it was meant not to be understood. At least, not by everybody. It's the language of the court of Versailles during the 18th century. A code only insiders could understand. And, in a sense, it gives us an insight of the pit which separated the aristocracy and the commoners. Two incompatible people with nothing in common. And the vocabulary was also used to reinforce these differences, this non-belongingness. Each season, Marie-Antoinette would have 36 new outfits. At that time, they counted three seasons per year. Each season, then, she would have 12 new grands habits, understand, court dresses, 12 new luxury dresses on white panier, and 12 new fancy little dresses for afternoon activities. And this was without taking into account dresses for specific occasions, to hunt, to ride horses. And her favorite colors were pastel tones like blue, lilac, pink, white, aqua, and she liked floor prints and stripes. Extravagance and volume won't be reserved only for dresses. Her styles will also fall under this criteria. And for that, Marie-Antoinette will be helped by her official hairdresser, Monsieur Léonard. Surfing on the beauty standards of the time, according to which a tall hairstyle implied to have your hair pulled up, thus smoothing your facial features, making you looking younger, Botox before the age of Botox, Monsieur Léonard would compose the tallest wigs possible, wigs which were called poof. They could reach up to almost two meters, forcing women to travel on their knees when using carriages. Incidents would easily happen with wigs catching fire when coming close to the sailing lights. The poof at the origin was a sort of padding filled with horsehair and gauze to add extra volume, on the top of which hairs would be added, added and decorated with different types of objects included but not limited to ribbons, flowers, fruits, stuffed animals, livened up with a cap, around 200 different types of caps existed, and topped with feathers. Women were crazy about feathers at that time, especially ostrich feathers, who would be worn in group of three or ten to accentuate the volume. And a poof could cost up to 50,000 livres, around 899,770 euros, and to be worn only a few days. As for colors, the poofs could also have sweet names, for example, au lever de la reine, à la levée of the queen, à la Gabrielle de Vergy, 
au chien couchant, à la lying dog, au parc anglais, à la English Park, à la victoire, à la victory. The most famous style of poof was called à la belle poule. This week was inspired by a victory won in the Americas by Lafayette while being on board of a boat called la belle poule. The week would feature a boat with its sails on the top of a pile of hairs. You also had poofs called poof au sentiment. This type of wigs would feature the portrait of a person you liked. A great way to declare your feelings and a good idea for Valentine's Day, no? Under their extravagant and superfluous aspects, these wigs were, and especially their ornamentations, would also follow the current events. Any of them would become a subject of decoration. It was the true delusions of grandeur to which Marie Antoinette succumbed, leading the way for the other ladies of the court to follow. Everything had to be the most extravagant and the richest possible. And for that, Marie Antoinette would have her dream team, composed of Rose Bertin as her official designer and Monsieur Léonard as her official hairdresser. Marie-Antoinette craze for volume and extreme experimentations in fashion would last a few years. I guess, I guess she used it as a way to visually assert her new position as queen, to show who was in charge, to show she had the power. But I also think that it was a way for her to compensate the lack of love in her personal life. Indeed, It wasn't the big love between her and Louis the Sixteenth. They got married when they were teenagers, and the future king of France seemed not to be very interested in consuming his wedding and bedding his wife. It is said that he was unexperimented. Yes, maybe, but honestly, I have doubts about it. Knowing about his grandfather's Louis the Fifth. The for, uh, Louis the Fifteenth lifestyle and the old tradition of mistresses and initiations at the court for kings. He was just maybe too shy, and they didn't really get along well. More, moreover, Marie Antoinette wasn't especially attracted by her husband either, so they didn't force each other and went on with the appearances. However. And hair was asked. Years went by, and no babies. Rumors started to spread about the infertility of one or the sterility of the other. Being afraid that her daughter would be repudiated, Marie Therese of Austria sent her son Joseph to Versailles to understand what was happening. We don't really know what Joseph told to his sister and brother-in-law, what he did, what he explained, but the fact is that his visit was crowned with success. One year later, in 1777, Marie-Antoinette gave birth to her first child, a little girl. Instead of rejoicing, other rumors spread. This birth came too fast. It's not possible that Louis XVI was the father, not to mention that 
Another rumor spread about Marie Antoinette having a lover, the handsome, or said to be Hans Axel de Fersen, she would have met during a masquerade in 1774. It was really difficult to satisfy people at that time. No baby, no happy. A baby, no happy, the king is not the father. But Marie Antoinette becoming a mother and she would have four children in all, only two would survive, and the royal couple is said to have adopted four other kids, losing two of her children's mourning them, will have a strong impact on her personality and on her fashion style. She would long for a simple way of life, closer to the life she had as a kid at the court of Vienna. At heart, she was a simple woman, loving the countryside. Her sanctuary would be the Petit Trianon, a small castle inside the gardens of Versailles Louis XVI offered her. There, she would hide from the etiquette of the court, from the life and the gossips she disliked. She would recreate a bucolic atmosphere close to the countryside life, to the point that she would even have a farm with animals, and a garden with fruits and vegetables. There, she didn't have to play the role of the Queen of France. She could be her true self, enjoying her life as a woman and as a mother, without all the fuss and intermediaries the protocol imposed her. Maybe tired of the excesses she imposed in the dress, maybe desiring to prove her all-powerful influence on the fashion of her time, or maybe genuinely in the search for a lifestyle closer to her true personality, the result is that she will introduce simpler dresses. This change in dress style will become obvious starting from 1783, few years before the revolution. Rose Bertin will design white dresses with no embellishment, with no volume, whose cuts will be inspired by peasant dresses. They will be worn together with, with straw hats. They would be comfortable, the type of dresses Marie-Antoinette would wear at the Petit Trianon when she would be with her children and receiving her friends. But this style didn't please neither. Mind you, this dress which would be called robe en chemise, chemise à la reine, or robe en gaulle, would be considered being too simple, too vulgar, to be worn by the Queen of France. They didn't fit with her being the face, the physical representation of the wealth of the kingdom. The scandal burst in August 1783, and the origin of it was a portrait painted by Elisabeth Vigée-Lebrun, the official portraitist of the Queen. As every year, to celebrate the day of Saint Louis, an exhibition was organized at the Louvre. A series of paintings was shown, including one representing Marie-Antoinette wearing a dress called robe en gaulle, a large straw hat embellished with a grey ribbon and some ostrich feathers. She holds the grey ribbon in her hands linked to a rose. She is represented on a dark background. Everything breathes simplicity. The dress she is wearing, the robe en gaulle, is a soft dress made of white threads trimmed with muslin at the collar and wrists. The waist 
a bit higher than the regular level, is marked by a light transparent yellow scarf. This dress is the precursor of the post-revolution high-waisted dresses women would wear until the first decades of the 19th century. And you might know it better as the Empire dress or the Regency dress. But nobody was ready for this dress yet. The public was shocked to see the Queen of France being shown in such a dress. This dress was perceived as scandalous, vulgar, a night dress, a dress for a chambermaid at best, but certainly not for a queen. The lightness of a dress, the lightness of a style Marie Antoinette wanted to adopt, wasn't compatible with her status of queen. This dress makes her too close to the commoners. It makes her too accessible. The distinction between her and her subjects is abolished, and it's something that can't be permitted, or at least not displayed under the eyes of everybody. She was the Queen of France. She was representing the Kingdom of France, and consequently, she had to be represented wearing the most magnificent costumes, which would act as a testimony of the wealth and power of the kingdom. The scale of the scandal was such that the portrait had to be taken away. It was replaced by another one. Same woman, same pose, same rose, different dress. In this similar new portrait, Marie Antoinette wears an opulent robe à la française in a grey London chimney suit color silk, featuring lace at the neckline, framing the overskirt and engageant at the bottom of the sleeves. A satin bow ornates the bodice of the dress. She is wearing a headpiece in silk called turban with feathers as well as a two-row pearl necklace. She is still holding the same rose in her hands, but the background features a lush garden. A look more in conformity with the idea of what the queen of a powerful kingdom as France should look like. Extravagant or simple, Marie Antoinette's fashion style is equally controversial. No matter what she would do, it would never be right. And simplicity in dress doesn't mean that it is less expensive. On the contrary. In four years, her dress expenses would go from 30,000 livres, around 539,800 euros, in 1776, to 108,000 livres, around 1,943,500 euros in 1780. Some testimonies talk about 260,000 livres, around 5,678,800 euros even, meaning around approximately 389,900 euros to spend per month on dresses. Not to forget her passion for gaming sessions where she could spend days and also lose lots of money. 
All of this will badly influence her reputation and she will be soon nicknamed Madame Deficit. Another event would completely finish her. The scandal of the Queen's necklace, which took place between 1784 and 1786. In that story, she was more the victim of a fraud than anything else, but the wrong was already done. In May 1789, due to the failures of reforms introduced by the king and his ministers, the General Estates, an extraordinary assembly comprising representatives of the clergy, the the nobility and the commoners, are summoned. The storm of the Bastille, which was a prison at that time on July the 14th, the same year, would become the most famous episode of the popular contestation and the symbolic start of the French Revolution. The negotiations toward the end of class privilege and feudal rights would lead to the adoption of a constitution in 1791 for the creation of a constitutional monarchy, which could have saved the royal family. However, Louis XVI vetoed this decision. In August 1792, the monarchy is abolished, the First French Republic is created, and the royal family is arrested and transferred to the prison du Temple. All along the process, Marie Antoinette would try to contact her brothers and sisters to ask for help to maintain her husband's position as King of France. Projects of evasion of the royal family would also be set up. All in vain. On January 15, 1793, the Revolutionary Convention proclaimed a death sentence for the former king, Louis XVI, now known as Citizen Louis Capet, and he would be beheaded on January 21, 1793. Few months later, in August 1793, Marie-Antoinette would be transferred to the Conciergerie. She would be separated from her children. Her health would worsen. She was losing blood. Nobody really knew what was going on. Was the bleeding due to a cancer of the uterus or a cancer of the cervix or maybe a fibroma? But the results were that she was condemned and wouldn't live long anyway. Robespierre, one of the most emblematic faces of the French Revolution and the period of terror which followed, would have his personal doctor to monitor the health of the former queen. Knowing that she won't survive anyway, he decided to bring forward the trial of Marie Antoinette. On October the 14th, 1793, Marie Antoinette's trial opened. She would be accused of incest, of betrayal, and of alliance with Frank powers against the interests of France. She would be compared to previous queens of France, revolutionaries hated, maybe for their too big power and influence, or maybe because they were just women with power, as Catherine of Medici. She would be shown as the declared enemy of the French nation, crystallizing all the hatred French revolutionaries had for the royal family. On October 16, 1793, in the early morning, she would be sentenced to death penalty for high treason and would be beheaded the same day. Marie-Antoinette was 37 years old. 
she would have written a last letter for her children who never received it, and her last word, words were for her executioner when, accidentally, while walking towards the guillotine, she would have stepped on, her on his feet and would have said, Mister, I beg your pardon, I didn't mean. To, I didn't mean to do it. Marie Antoinette died alone, hated by everybody, the scapegoat of the French Revolution. Little did she know that few centuries later, she would become a major source of inspiration, a pop icon whose life and fashion style would inspire plenty of films and fashion designers. And that at her level, she went on the work started by Louis XIV in the positioning of France as the heart of fashion and luxury, setting the basis for the development of the haute couture industry. The many styles she set up with the help of Rose Bertin would be sent to the other courts in Europe, thus participating in the influence of France and of the French fashion industry. Around 68 movies would be released about her and her time. You may know maybe the most famous one, Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola. Chanel, Alexander McQueen, Rochas, Oscar de la Renta, Vivienne Westwood, Christian Lacroix, John Galliano, Fordior are some of the names in the fashion industry who paid tribute to the first fashionista. However, Marie Antoinette's legacy is not limited to the fashion world. Did you know that she was one, the one who, to bring the croissant to France? Now one of the emblems of France, the croissant was at the origins, a pastry invented in Vienna to celebrate a victory over the Ottoman army at the end of the 17th century. The form of the pastry was chosen as an echo to the crescent featured on the Ottoman flag. She would also launch the Balneology, herself being quite conscious of her hygiene, bathing regularly, doing long strolls, spending as much time as possible outside, breathing fresh air. Think about Marie-Antoinette next time you will enjoy a croissant. And this episode is my own tribute to a woman who was a, victi a victim of a time, who was a victim because she was too visible and too influent, who was a victim because she was simply a woman. And while preparing this episode, I learned to, lo to love her, at least to appreciate her. She was beheaded because she was the foreigner, because she didn't dress and behave the way she was expected to. She was a victim of fashion, which became highly political. Words and situation which unfortunately still happen today. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my Fashion Stories Box podcast dedicated to Marie Antoinette, maybe one of the most controversial figures of modern history. I hope this episode gave another perspective of her life, her personality, and how, through her experimentations, she put the haute couture industry on its modern tracks. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook, to complete the podcast with some visuals. And if you like my podcast, feel free to leave a comment or a review. I would really appreciate it. I am Catherine, and this is my Fashion Story Box podcast. 
a podcast about stories in fashion history. See you next time for a new fashion story box. <laughs>